Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together, Lord, to come before you. Lord, I ask that as we open your word this evening, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, that you would prepare the soil of our hearts to receive the seed of your word, God, and that it would bring forth much possible to, we can do the wrong thing, we can do the right thing the wrong way, or we can do things God's way. And oftentimes, how many of you know, oftentimes if you choose to do it God's way, it's harder. There's more conflict. There's, there's more struggle. There's more drama. There's whatever, whatever, right? And we see that over and over and over again in the prophets. So put yourself in Jeremiah's shoes and just think, Lord, what are you relate? What in what way are you calling me to obedience that I don't want to obey? I I don't want to do the hard thing. I don't want to stand before the king and say what you're telling me to say. I just like to pretend none of this is going on. So it says now in verse one. Now Shephatiah the son of Matan, Gedaliah the son of Pashur. Uh, Yuko, the son of Shemaliah, and uh, Pashur, the son of Melchi, heard the words that Jeremiah was saying to the people. So here's the players now. They've, they've heard Jeremiah's been prominent, right? He's been sharing the message. He's, uh, if he's in prison still from 37, this is them thinking about the things he said. The damage is already done. What was the message Jeremiah was saying? Verse 2, thus says the Lord, he who stays in the city will die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. He who goes out to the Chaldeans will live. He shall, he shall have his life as a prize of the war and live. So what, it wasn't that judgment won't happen. It wasn't that God's going to turn away the armies. If you surrender, stop fighting and go give yourself over to the Babylonians, you'll live. Your life is your prize. This was the message. Thus says the Lord, this city will surely be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. So the Jeremiah has been, this has been his message since the first siege. And then the second one. And now we're on number three. So the, they're saying, here's the message of Jeremiah. Here's what he's been preaching. So they go to the king. <laughs> this is King Zedekiah. And they say, let this man be put to death. For he is weakening the hands of the soldiers. Now, the interesting thing is when they go to him, they don't say, hey, let's arrest him. That's not what they said. What did they say? We need, this guy needs to be dead. So that's why I think it, this is possible that they're not a parallel account of the same thing between 37 and 38, but that Jeremiah is locked up in prison. The enemies of the message that he's been preaching are, are tired of, of how he has uh, unraveled their attempt at making their nation um, be more positive about the outcome of the siege and be focused on the things that they need to do. So they say to the king, we need to put him to death because he's weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of the people, but their harm. Now, was that true? No, Jeremiah's desire was to save the people. But the, the ideology of the men who were in charge trumped any 
truth. It was about, it was not about what is true, what is, what is Jeremiah really trying to do? No, there, his message is opposed to ours, so he's evil. Sound familiar? His message is different than ours. He is evil. He's wicked. He wants to destroy the people. And it doesn't matter today what side of the aisle you stand on. Both sides are saying the same thing to each other. Nobody's listening, but both sides are saying the same thing. They want the destruction of the people. Their goal is the destruction of the people, not their welfare. So King Zedekiah says, Behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. Zedekiah is the epitome of the guy who always wants to take what is easier. He wants to do the, the easier thing, the simpler thing. I'll appease them, I'll appease them, I'll let them do what they want. You know, what's it to me? So he turns them over. So they want to kill Jeremiah. If these people had been... Uh, the type of people that were actually going to do that, they would have done things differently. We're going to see. They could have killed him. He's an old man. Hit him in the head with a big stick. It's over. But that's not what they do. Why? Because they don't want the blood guilt. I don't want the blood guilt from putting him to death. So we're just going to make his life so bad to the point he can't survive. So this becomes their goal. Look, it says they took Jeremiah, cast him into the cistern of Melchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard. So it's still in the area of the court of guard. One of the things you'll see if you ever travel to, to Israel or Jerusalem in particular, there are cisterns everywhere. And the cisterns in Israel and in Jerusalem in particular still function. When it rains, the cisterns still fill up with water. That's If you live in the desert, you figure out how to gather your rainwater. It's only in the United States that's not legal. But most of the time you would think, why is that not legal? I should be able to capture my water. I, I know a guy, maybe it was just the state of California, I know a guy who lived off the grid in 29 Palms, which is God forsaken. And in the middle of 29 Palms, he built the house totally off the grid, no power, and he captured, he built his own cisterns. And when it rained, which is not frequent, but when it rained, it would fill up an underground water system that he would then use to, uh, for his water, for his, for his cabin, for everything that he had going. And he was a lawbreaker because against the law to catch your own rain. Oh, it's a crazy world. It's okay if the rain waters your grass, apparently, but not if you put it in a bucket first and then put it on. Apparently, that's not okay. But the cisterns all work still in Jerusalem. And so what they had done, a cistern, the top of the cistern is just open. And the area is built so that when it rains, water drains to the cistern. And then it fills up the cistern. Now, later on, when you need water, you put a bucket down in the cistern, pull water out. Okay, so, so they put them in. Now, they've been under siege. There's no water. The cistern is dried up. Other cisterns probably still have water, but this one was dried up. It didn't have water in it. But when, as you can imagine, all that runoff is going to bring what with it? Just a bunch of mud and muck and whatever garbage is in the, in the gutters. And so they, that's all filled it in. So they take him and they throw him in the cistern. Now, they could have just thrown him in the hole. That might have killed him. They could have 
lopped off his head, that might have killed him. But instead, they lowered him with ropes. So he's not, that's not going to kill him. They lowered him down into the mud. Now, nobody can tell us. Josephus says the mud was up to his neck. I doubt the mud was up to his neck. But there, it was miserable and muddy down in there. There's a place we used to hunt duck down in Kanaka. And there was an area, I remember Jason telling me a story about losing a shotgun there. So every once in a while, you know, when the water was low enough, we'd trudge out to that spot with our waders. You know, might get lucky, right? Step on a five-year-old shotgun that's been underwater. How bad could it be? So, so we'd go over there. But here's the one unique thing about that area. I, walked, I haven't walked everywhere but in the, in the river, but in that spot, that mud was so loose that you, as soon as you stepped into it, you were to your waist. And then the interesting thing was a little, it was pretty sketchy, but the interesting thing was the, the pressure of lifting one leg out would drive the other leg down. And I don't know if it would ever, if it would ever stop. There's only so far I would go. I was like, yeah, that's, I can get out of this, but I don't know if I get out the next step. And that's kind of what I always think of when I think about this cistern, just loose mud, Jeremiah's, you know, up to his waist. It's a hassle, sleeping, uh, you know, there's, you're, you're at the mercy of the people up top. So you get water if they throw it down to you. If they don't, if they don't, you don't. You get food if they throw it down to you. It's probably a little muddy. There's no lights. So you're not seeing anything. Pitch, it's as dark as you can imagine with the exception of if it's open at the top, that little bit of light that comes through the hole at the top. So this is where Jeremiah finds himself. So I said, his situation can get worse, right? These guys want to kill him, but nobody really wants to do the act of killing him and have the blood guilt of killing the prophet on their hands. So let's put him in a hole, super dark hole full of mud, and he'll just die in there. We, we don't have to see it. He'll just become sick he'll he'll die in that place i think all in an attempt to avoid any blood guilt in psalm 40 1 and 2 it says the psalmist writes i waited patiently for the lord he inclined to me and heard my cry listen he drew me up out of the pit of destruction out of the miry clay and he set my feet on a rock making my steps secure so the picture that the psalmist is writing is, is he's probably dealing with depression and it feels like I'm down in a pit in the mud. And I'm sure Jeremiah was dealing with depression because he's actually in a pit in the mud. And all he's guilty of is telling people the truth. I'm just, I'm, I'm guilty of telling them the truth. Here's what God has said. This is what's going to happen. He would tell people, You're, you don't have to die. You have to be enslaved. You don't have to die. Your children don't have to starve. You soldiers don't have to be killed in battle. Just surrender and live. Way back in Jeremiah chapter 10, the, the scripture that so many people like to, to place up on their 
refrigerators, right? I know the thoughts that I think toward Jeremiah 29. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good, not of evil. We, we looked at these scriptures in Jeremiah 29, I want to say it's 13. The Lord says to the people, go, build homes, plant gardens, get married, send your children to be married, live. But sometimes our rebellion is so strong against God, we would rather die in our rebellion than live under his rule. Isn't that what it is to be an unbeliever anyway? To reject the rule of God and say, I don't want, I don't want that. Jesus, when he, when he looks out over the scribes and the Pharisees who proclaim over and over and over again that they, that they are about God's business, and uh, Jesus had something to say to him in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, why do you call me Lord, 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 but you don't do what I say? The words are the easy part. The words are the easy part. It's will you, are you willing to do the things God's asking you to do if it's not easy? I've had this discussion in 25 years of ministry. I've had this discussion 10,000 times where I've sat down and I've talked with somebody who is not married and it's been every age, it's been young people to old people, they're, they're not married, they're living together, and uh, um, it's, it's just easier this way, we don't really want to have to deal with the hassle, they, the, we're married in God's eyes, whatever different excuses they give, and the point is, right now, for the older folks, the, the point was, uh, right now we, we get more money by, being, by living together than we would if we were married. Are you willing to do what God says to do if it costs you more or not? And if the answer is no, I'm not willing to do what God asked me to do if it costs me more. Because there's a lot of things in the word that people don't want to talk about. Right? People don't want to, there's a lot of things that the word talks about that we're like, yeah, Jackie, don't preach on that. Don't preach, uh, avoid that one. We just preach through the word. So when it comes, it comes and the the firestorm happens. We start wrestling with questions like divorce and remarriage. What's that supposed to look like? What, What is it that God asks us? What is God looking for from us? Look, I'm a, I'm, I'm okay, I think, in, in every way when we discuss those things, thinking about what did, I do, what did I do when I was lost? The Lord forgives us, right? And that's not what I'm talking about. You're not lost, are you? You're walking with the Lord. What's he want of you? How does he want you to look at this situation? Are you willing to do the thing even though it's harder? Even though some guy's going to throw you in the mud, in the muck, and it's just wretched. 
So Jeremiah finds himself down in this hole. It's interesting because then we, we enter this guy named Ebed-Melech. So this name is available for all you having children. If you want to name your next child, Ebed-Melech. Yes, Ebed-Melech. I don't know what you call him for short. That's something you'll have to work out. But it's interesting. It says, verse 7, When Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian and eunuch was in the king's house, heard they put Jeremiah in the cistern, the king, he's down holding court in Benjamin's gate. Ebed-Melech went from the king's house and said to the king. So Ebed-Melech goes and finds a king in a public place down in the court. And he, and he, because the court is where you bring your grievance. If you had a grievance, the king sits down in the court at the gate. And you go to bring your grievance before the king. So that's what the king's there for. So Ebed-Melech goes down there uh, on behalf of Jeremiah. Ebed-Melech means the servant of the king. Just so many things strike me about this character in the Bible. An Ethiopian eunuch. That reminds you of anything else? Ethiopian eunuch. Seems like there was a guy in the New Testament. Something about searching the scriptures and a fellow running up beside him and saying, you understand what you read? How can I understand it unless someone explains it to me? Ethiopian eunuch, his name meaning servant of the king, is there to plead on behalf of Jeremiah. So he goes and finds the king. My lord, the king, these men have done evil. So he calls out what they did. Hey, that, what they have done evil. They've thrown him down into this pit. Uh, he says, um, uh, my Lord, the king, these men have done evil and all that they did to Jeremiah, the prophet, by casting him into the cistern and he will die there of hunger for there's no bread in the city. <clears throat> so they don't have any food or nothing to drop down in the hole. Now, getting him out of the hole is not necessarily going to solve that problem, right? Still going to still going to be without food. But he lays out to the king, Jeremiah needs help. And he accused the accusers, the ones who brought their charges against Jeremiah. Now, remember I told you the king, he just wants to make everybody happy. So he made them other people happy by letting them throw Jeremiah into prison. And he's going to make Ebed-Melech happy by letting him take him out. So Ebed-Melech comes and says, well, look, what's going on, Lord? You've got to get him out. This is not okay. So the king commanded Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, he said, take 30 men with you. <clears throat> I don't know if he needs 30. But the other guys are part of the captain of the guard too. So you're basically going into the same place where the wicked men are who put him in the hole, where they are. Maybe he thought he would need 30 men in case they, they raised a ruckus. He says, take 30 men with you. Uh, and lift Jeremiah out of the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men. He went with him, and he went to the house of the king to the ward first. He went to a wardrobe in the storehouse and took old rags and worn-out clothes, which he threw down to Jeremiah. Now, I remember the first time I ever read this story, I thought, well, that's a, it's a strange time to have him change his clothes. You change them when you get him out. But what they do with it, you can tell that Ebed-Melech is is thinking ahead, right? He said, so Ebed-Melech said to Jeremiah, put the rags between your armpits and the ropes so we can pull you out. So he puts the rags under his armpits and they loop the ropes under his armpits and they're going to pull him up out of the mud. You ever pull something out of the mud? Dude, it, I guarantee whatever Jeremiah weighed, he weighed more stuck in the mud. So they pull him up, they pull him up out of there, they put the ropes under his arms 
and then Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. Now, you remember I told you when we finished chapter 37, Jeremiah is never not in prison after this point. He's going to be in prison until, well, one more chapter because Nebuchadnezzar is coming into town next chapter. So, but he's in prison till Nebuchadnezzar comes in, till Nebuchadnezzar arrives. And so he's in the court of the guard. He's out of that place, that dark place of, of depression. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I think at some point I'd be thinking, I don't know if I, I, I just want to do this anymore. I don't know. The big heartbreak for me is in Jeremiah is, in the book of Jeremiah, you never see those people, or not very often do you see an Abed-Melech, uh, who's like, hey, Jeremiah, I'm for you. But you see a lot of the other guys. A lot of the other guys who aren't for him, who aren't there, who... who who are like, I don't like anything you're doing. You're, you're, I wish you'd stop talking. Every, no king. He went through four kings. They all had one thing in common. None of them listened. Not one time. Four kings. I bet Jeremiah felt the same way about politicians as I do. And if you, if you watched the debate last night, you feel the same way I do too. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Maybe. Yes. Yes, Lord, I will obey. So then it says in verse 14, King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet and received him at the third entrance of the temple of the Lord. So the king is asking for Jeremiah to come to him. In a private place. So he's got him coming to a private place, nobody else around. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you a question. Hide nothing from me. Now what's going through your mind? No. I'll just tell you what you want to hear. Everything's going to be fine. Let me go home. Tell me, I want to ask you a question, and I want you to tell, can you tell the truth to someone, to their face, the God's honest truth, speaking the truth in love, doing what you know God wants you to do, can you do it, even if it's going to cost you getting thrown in a pit? What if it's going to be uncomfortable? What if all the things you fear might happen, might happen? Can you do what God wants you to do? He stands before the king and the king says, hey, I, just, I got a question. You know, last time I answered your question, I ended up in jail. I don't know. I think I would answer like Jeremiah. He's going to tell him two things. Look. He says, one, if I tell you, you're going to put me to death. And two, you never listen anyway. What are you going to ask me for? You will not listen. I honestly can tell you, in, in 25 years of sitting down and talking with people, 
Um, the not listening part really gets you down. Like I can, I can look across somebody sitting across the couch from me in my office and go, you're not listening. You're nodding. You're telling me all the, you're giving all the right answers to the test, right? But you're not going to do what I say. You're not going to, I spent, uh, last week I spent probably four or five hours on a phone call. Uh, the, the, the same phone, not the same time, but the same phone call throughout the week. And toward the end, I was like, man, I really feel like I have said the same thing 392 times. And you're going to ask me the question one more, one more time. And I'm thinking, you're not going to listen. So Jeremiah looks at him and he says, look, I'm, I don't know. You say you want to know something, but look, if I tell you the truth, you're going to put me to death and you're not going to listen anyway. So I'm thinking Jeremiah's like right there at the brink. Like, yeah, I don't know, dude, why I want to tell you anything. So Zedekiah swore secretly to Jeremiah and he's going to use the name of the Lord. As Yahweh lives, you see there in your text where you have capital L-O-R-D, that is the proper name of God. It's the, it's the word Adonai. It's the word, but what would have been written there in the, in the Hebrew text would have been Y-H-V-H. And so they have the tetragrammaton listed out. So he's saying, look, I swear, and he uses the name of the Lord, which the Lord says you don't have to make any vows, but if you make a vow to him, what are you supposed to do with it? Yeah, keep your vows. So he says, uh, as the Lord lives who made our souls, I will not put you to death nor deliver you to the man who want to seek your life. So Jeremiah said, thus says the Lord, Yahweh, the God of hosts, it's the God of the angel armies, the God of Israel. If you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, your life will be spared. Listen, and the city will not be burned. Listen, and you and your house will live. Now, Ezekiel prophesied and Jeremiah prophesied, and we know that this event happened. <clears throat> so when I look at this, I, my, my brain wants to fall apart trying to wrestle out the what ifs. What would have happened if Zedekiah had listened? Because God said, I'll spare your family. What would you do to save your kids? All you have to do, Zedekiah, to save your family is surrender. That's all you got to do. And every ounce of pride in a man, the one thing he does not want to ever do is surrender. That's why God says, I hate the proud. 
Because the proud just stiffens their neck and runs headlong into destruction. And I want you to hear the things Jeremiah tells them. Look, the city will not be utterly destroyed. They will not burn everyone's house with fire. They won't destroy it all. King, you'll live. Your family will live. And the city will live. All you have to do is have the backbone to go out in front of the masses that don't want to surrender and be willing to do what has to be done. That's all you have to do. You will live, the city won't be burned, and the people of your house shall live. Verse 18. But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, this city will fall, will be given into the hands of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire, and you will not escape. The prophecy that was given earlier to Zedekiah. You will see Nebuchadnezzar face to face. He will take you to Babylon and you will die in Babylon. But you will never see Babylon. And we know why that happens. He's going to stand before the man who made him king and whom he rebelled against. That man is going to bring all of his children before his eyes and he's going to kill them all. And that will be the last thing he ever sees. And then he will pluck his eyeballs out. And he will die an old man blind in a foreign country. Or you can surrender and live. It's the same message Jeremiah has been given to the people since the beginning. God's making the same plea to a leader, the one who can, even all the other stubborn people who want to keep fighting. If he got up that next day and he said, that's it, and he walked through the gates and he said, we surrender, nobody else would have died. He'd have lived His kids would have lived. The city would not have been destroyed. King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I'm afraid of the Judeans who have deserted to the Chaldeans. Lest I be handed over to them and they are cruel to me. Think about all the people Right, leading up to this time, Jeremiah did have successes where he told people surrender and they left the city and surrendered. And so they left the city and and now Zedekiah is saying, look, I don't know if I'm going to be able to deal with seeing those people face to face. You know, I've, 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 I've been committed to the idea that we can win, that, that we can fight, that we can do all this and I don't want to have to face them. I don't want to have to face the people out there that that did what should have been done and, and them know that I should have done it. They'll be cruel to me. I won't be popular. 
I won't get as many likes on my next post. They, they're not going to watch my videos or pay attention to the things I write. <coughs> I, I'm, I'm afraid of all the people who were obedient, what they're going to do or say to me when I get there too. So I'm going to let all my kids die. I'm going to let the city burn. I'm going to let my soldiers be slaughtered. That's what pride does. That's how pride destroys. I guarantee if, I, if we brought Zedekiah and we sat him down in a chair and we said, Zedekiah, what are you willing to do to save your kids? I'm willing to do anything. He sounds just like us. The question is, when it comes down to being obedient to what God wants, will you do it if it's hard? Well, God, God doesn't want me to have to do this. God doesn't want me to have to do that. God wants me to be happier. God wants me, you know, this, this, if we live our life this way, it will be easier. Man, we better be careful. Do you know what it is God wants? I'm not... I'm not concerned about the things that are doubtful that we still struggle with understanding. We'll just leave those things out. Let's just deal with the ones we do know. Will you do what God says to do if it costs you something? The Bible says, I beseech ye, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I have one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is about the mighty men of David. Like David when he was an outcast, running, living in caves. When God said, you're going to be king, but he spent the next 10 years hiding from a king who wanted to kill him. It says, men of ill, re Ill repute went to him. All the outcasts and the offscourge of society, all the old robbers and these are not good guys. These are all bad guys. All the bad guys go to David and they surround him and they become David's army and they grow into David's mighty men. But there's this thing that happens to somebody when you choose to follow someone as your king People have a tendency to become like them, for good or ill. So these offscourge of society become what's known as the mighty men of David. One day, David's in one of the many wars he was in. I don't remember where he was, doesn't really matter. And he says uh, offhandedly, man, I wish I had... I wish I had some of that water from the well in Bethlehem. Oh, that water tastes so good. You know, I'm out here in the middle of the desert fighting. You, you want one of them comforts at home. Three of his mighty men, they heard him and they said, oh, we'll get you some water. So they left. They went all the way to Bethlehem, fought 
all the way to Bethlehem. Dropped in a bucket of water, pulled out and filled up a, a, a water a wine skin or water skin. And they fought all the way back to bring it back to David. Three dudes in the middle of enemy territory fight to go get him a glass of water. Bring him the glass of water. And David says, man, this is the most incredible gift anybody has ever given me. He's like, praises his men. And then he opens it up and he pours it out to the Lord. And the, the guys are, what are you? If I knew you were going to dump it out, I don't know if I'd have fought all them guys. Come back here with it. But I'm sure what's echoing in their minds is what David said. I will not give the Lord something that costs me nothing. This is what it is to be a living sacrifice. Just like Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah, will you speak the truth to the king? Now the king's got it laid out to him. Okay, what does God want from me? What does God want? Okay, God wants you to surrender. The sooner the better. And if you do, everybody lives. <laughs> what are you going to do? Will you do the things God's asking? Will you respond in the way that, in, in what God is asking of you? Or, or won't you? So, Zedekiah says, I'm afraid. Jeremiah says, you shall not be given to them. So he's going to give them further promise. The people that you're afraid of, you're not going to be given to them. O obey the voice of the Lord and what I say to you, and it will be well with you, and your life will be spared. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the vision the Lord has shown me. And he sings a song. It's an old song that they, that they would sing. And this is it. Behold, all the women left in the house of the king of Judah are being led out to the officials of the king of Babylon. And we're saying, your trusted friends have deceived you and prevailed against you. Now that your feet are sunk in the mud, they turn away from you. This is an old proverbial song that they would sing about, you know, the king making the wrong choice. And when the king made the wrong choice, it's always everybody else who pays. And all those people who sided with you, king, who said, yep, this is what you ought to do, they're all scattered. There's only one guy left when it all comes falling down. Nobody wants to be king. Not really. Nobody wants to be king because when it happens, the only one standing there is going to be king, the king and all his, all the, the women servants around him are going to be saying, where's all them guys that were with you before? If only you had listened, but now your feet are stuck in the mud. Now your choice is taken from you. Look at verse 23. All your wives and your sons shall be led out to the Chaldeans. And you will not escape from their hand, but will, will be seized by the king of Babylon, and the city will burn. What do you think is happening in the city when that's going on? There's bodies everywhere. Just all you have to do is surrender. So Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, let no one know what you've spoken to me. Let no one know of these words and you shall not die. Wait a minute, what happened to your promise a minute ago? 
Your promise a minute ago was swearing by the Lord. You won't let them have me. And now you won't let them have me as long as I don't tell them what I told you. Okay. So Zedekiah says, if the officials hear that I have spoken with you and come to you and say to you, tell us what you told the king. Hide nothing from us and we will not put you to death. Then you will say to them, I made a plea that he would not send me back to the house of Jonathan to die there. If you remember, that's exactly what he said to him in the end of chapter 37. Don't send me back there to die. Then all the officials came to Jeremiah and they said to him, so it's over. King's gone his way. Jeremiah's back in the prison. <clears throat> all the officials come to Jeremiah and they ask him. And he answered to them, uh, and he answered them as the king had instructed him. So they stopped speaking with him for the conversation had not been overheard. Nobody knew what he said. Nobody knew what he told the king, just him and the king. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard until the day that Jerusalem was taken. Jeremiah just stayed there. The book after Jeremiah is the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is a poem that Jeremiah writes from what he sees in chapter 39. What he sees over the, some say 40 years of ministry. Over the 40 years, if it was that long, 40 years of ministry and telling people, surrender. This is God's judgment. This is how it's going to be. Don't fight. It's not time to fight. It's time to face your punishment. Take your punishment and live. And I'm sure men who were sincere said, no, no, no. God's going to give us the victory. We're going to be able to dig ourselves up out of this. We're going to be able to overcome these things. And so Jeremiah, his last word to the king. Next chapter, city falls. Just surrender and live. It just helps me understand, you know, when I, I look, I, I like to think that the choices I make and the things I do are all about how does God want this to be done and seeking his way and his plan and being trying to be willing to to do it that way which honestly there's probably a, a lot of easier ways there's endless books people have written if I just do this everything will just happened perfectly. But the only book I really care about doing it like is the one God give us. How's it supposed to look? How are we supposed to treat one another? How are we supposed to care for the sick? How are we supposed to care for the poor? How are we supposed to engage in our culture? How are we supposed to live our lives? What does it look like to follow Jesus? He has told you and I. And a lot of times making those choices, it makes life harder. It would be easier if we did this 
or if we did that, or if I lied on this form, or if I, you know, whatever. He has told us. Before we're too harsh on King Zedekiah, we should probably just step back in a time of quiet reflection and look in the mirror. What are you telling me, Lord, that I'm resisting? Maybe I'm resisting something through my own pride or my own... But I, I, I firmly believe, at least in my life, I usually know what those things are. <laughs> I'm, I'm already staying up at night thinking about them. I'm already been wrestling with them. I've already been, you know, trying to figure them out. I don't want to be like Zedekiah. I don't want to let worse things happen because I won't be obedient to what God says. So we want to be the ones who Jesus isn't talking to when he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? So we look deep, drink deep in the pool of reflection, looking at the word of God and ask him, Lord, where are you directing me? And how may I fulfill those things that you're asking of me? And one day, maybe one day soon, as we're all gathered together, Jeremiah will walk up to you and say, you know, nobody ever listened to me, but I'm so glad you were obedient to what you heard, what you read, that I had a little piece of fruit gained from you learning from the things I went through. I wonder how many of those conversations we'll have one day when we look at his face hopefully tomorrow uh, tonight's okay too <laughs> like I said uh, uh, after the debate uh, Lord have mercy on our souls amen why don't you stand with me let's pray Father God I just thank you for this time we can study and we can look at your word Lord I pray God that our hearts, we're, we're calling out to you, Lord. We're, we're looking to you for your direction, Lord, for, for where it is, God, that you have been speaking to me personally. And you're saying, hey, this is an area that you don't want. You're resisting my revealed word to you. I've told you to do this. God, I just... Uh, I pray that we, Lord, we've been praying for revival and we've been praying, but all those things, they start with us. They start with me. They start with us on an individual level where we lift our eyes up to heaven and we say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me for being proud and not wanting to just be obedient to what your word says. wonder what happens if we just do it his way what can God do what can he accomplish in our church in our families amongst our circles of influence what can God do if I just do it 
how he wants it done. God, I pray that you move in this place, that we would walk in an attitude of humility, Lord God, that you would reach us, touch us, encourage us, that we would respond to what you want, how you want it, when you want it. And in the end, Lord God, may you be glorified. So much better for me if I stand before the Lord and said, I, I tried to do this your way, God. I was hard. That's way better than I tried to do it my way. God, I pray that you would minister to us in this time as we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen.